We look to source properties that are distressed, you know, where, where the seller needs to sell quickly for a number of reasons. Maybe that the property is in need of extensive repairs or maybe they need some quick cash. We'll come in with a cash offer and a quick close. You know, we can close in as little as seven days. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. In Los Angeles, I'm Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, this show is for all international investors who want to start investing here in the United States. Whether you're from Australia, Europe, Asia, Africa, wherever you're from, this show provides a platform for everyone to learn from our inspirational guests and get quality, straightforward, credible information. I want to thank all the loyal listeners out there who continue to tune in each week. You're actively taking steps towards building and learning about long-term wealth. Just listening to this show will help you grow as an investor. If you're new to the show, then thank you for dropping by. Uh, I know you'll get a lot of cracking information out of this show. If you're listening to this show and thinking, you know, I really wish Reed could cover a certain topic, then shoot me an email and with any of your suggestions at reed at rsmpropertygroup.com and let me know what topics you'd like me to cover. Enough out of me. Let's get cracking it into today's show. Today's show is all about understanding how international investors can start using their self-directed super funds or retirement funds to purchase U.S. real estate. And the entrepreneur in the hot seat to answer all the questions is Jeremy Heath. G'day, Jeremy. Welcome to the show. Yeah, g'day, Reid. Thanks for having me. Jeremy is the CEO of Texas All Cash Properties. Texas All Cash Properties is a residential development company that focuses on turning around distressed properties for profit in San Antonio and Austin, Texas. Jeremy is originally from Australia and arrived back in 2006 and started successfully investing in 2008. Since then, Jeremy's business has successfully remodeled over 150 properties in the Texas region and is on track to complete more than 50 properties in 2016. It's absolutely great to have another Aussie on the show. I love hearing other Aussie expat stories, particularly a fellow brother from down under. But mate, before we dive into all the nuts and bolts of today's show, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being a successful real estate entrepreneur? Yeah, I guess uh, one thing that most people, a lot of people don't know about me is before I arrived in the US uh, nine years ago, I uh, spent two months in Nepal trekking through the Him- Himalayas. So right. I did the yeah did the Annapurna circuit and uh, went up to Everest Base Camp, and it's probably the best time I've ever had in my life. <laughs> wow, that would have been incredible. Did you train a lot for that particular trek? Yeah, actually, unfortunately, I I, I arrived a little bit unfit, <laughs> but by the, <laughs> by the end of the two months, I was in top shape. <laughs> incredible! It would have been just a, such a surreal thing to to even to trek to the base camp. Climbing Everest would be absolutely incredible, and Nepal in general, I think, would be such an incredible country to, to visit, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's the most amazing. You know, I've been blessed to travel to a few, you know, quite a few places in the world, but there's nothing like Nepal. It's 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 the most beautiful 
place on the planet for sure. Yeah, we'll have to get up there at some at some point and then uh, maybe do India at the same time. It's definitely on my bucket list. So, <laughs> so Jeremy, with that being said, I love hearing about the journey of other successful real estate entrepreneurs. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background, where you come from, and how you got to this point of starting to successfully invest in the US and you know essentially start a successful real estate business as a foreigner here in the United States? Yeah, sure, Reid. I guess, you know, my story started back in Australia, uh, as as you, you mentioned, as you can, everyone can obviously tell from the accent. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got the Texas ac- accent just yet. But I'd originally studied uh, civil engineering at University of New South Wales. When I'd finished up, I, I went into the corporate world. I was uh, working with Accenture doing management consulting for about 12 years. And uh, during that time, my, my job, you know, um, afforded me the chance to travel around the world and work in different countries. Um, and actually, before I'd come to the U.S., I had resigned from Accenture and, uh, and I was planning to go back and work with family business in Australia. And, uh, and then I, I got one last kind of opportunity presented to me with Accenture that was in the U.S. And I thought, man, I've been to the U.S. a few times, but I really don't understand the culture. And, and the U.S. is obviously such a big, you know, has a big presence on the global stage. And uh, so I thought, man, I've got, to, I've got to get over there and check it out. And my plan was to be over here for probably one to two years. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's now been nine years. <laughs> so <laughs> so inc- now, I'm, now I'm a citizen and I'm kind of firmly established here. <laughs> That's incredible. And so how did the journey start with getting involved in real estate. You know, that's just not something that happens. You're, you're, you and I are essentially the same person because I, I studied civil engineering at the University of Queensland. So, and I haven't been in the United States as long as you and I'm not a citizen just yet, but uh, on track. But how did you get started with the, with the, in the real estate game? That doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I, I remember it clearly. I, I'd actually just uh, got married to my wife who's, originally, who's actually from San Antonio, Texas, which is why I'm now here. And we're heading off on our honeymoon to Mexico. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm really kind of digging some deep roots here in America. Looks like I'm going to be here for a long time, if not ever. And I, and I guess the thought then crossed my mind, you know, my family's back in Australia. And I started to kind of have a fear of, you know, having to work in the corporate world and having to ask for time off to go home and have to work around kind of the company's objectives. And I thought, man, I need to really do something that's going to afford me some more freedom and flexibility. So I I picked up a real estate book at the airport going on our honeymoon and read that book. And then after that, I, I probably read about 10 books, you know, over the course of a few months and really got into it. And one of the books that I'd read had spoke about the importance of getting a mentor, and that's really the the first big step that I took, um, to, you know, to get educated and um, to help me get on the track of starting this business. Fantastic! I think that's really really important um, for anyone out there listening who's looking to get started in real estate. Getting being surrounded by successful people who've done it before or, or a mentor is really really important. Now, now, uh, Jeremy, was your mentor a real estate guy or not? Yeah, my my mentor was a real estate guy and he had successfully transacted in, you know, over 300 buying and selling transactions himself. Um, he'd also owned apartment complexes and I'm still, I still work with him now. I still uh, actively get, you know, he's a great friend and he's still a coach to me as well. And, uh, you know, he's been a big part of my ability to grow this business so quickly. Fantastic. And I love what you said about having the freedom. Your why factor was that you are split between two countries, essentially, you have your family back home, just like myself. And, you know, a big driving factor more recently for, for personally is that I, I, you know, I wanted to have a successful business here like you. So I can afford, be afforded the time to just go home when I wanted and not have to be asked for time off, as you sort of say. So uh, great stuff, mate. So today, listeners, 
you know, the, the show's a little bit of a twofold approach today. We're going to come from it two different angles. We'll be understanding a little bit about how Jeremy has started his real estate business here in, in the United States, but we also wanted to touch on how international investors are buying U.S. real estate using their self-directed IRA, or sort of self-directed retirement accounts. I'm using the word IRA because that's a very American thing, but self-directed retirement accounts. So, Jeremy, do you want to walk us through exactly what Texas All Cash Homebuyers does in uh, in Texas? Yeah, sure. Our uh, primary focus is the buying and selling of uh, single-family homes. Um, and so what we do is we look to source properties that um, are distressed, you know, where, where the seller needs to sell quickly for a number of reasons. Maybe that the property is in need of extensive repairs or maybe they need some quick cash. Um, and we'll come in with a cash offer and a quick close. You know, we can close in as little as seven days. Uh, and that's what enables us to pick up the properties at such a good price uh, we then kind of put that property into our rehabbing factory, which is what I like to call it. And, you know, and then the end product we spit out is a is a retail home that's fully remodeled and ready to be uh, sold to a bank qualified buyer. Right. And is that a, are you looking for a retail buyer or are you looking for investors when you on sell that property? At the moment, probably 75% of the properties we sell are, are sold fully rehabbed to an end retail buyer. Okay. And then about 25% will sell to investors um, as wholesale deals where we don't do any work to the properties, but you know, we'll on-sell the property at a, at a discounted price to them so they're getting a good deal as well. Got it, got it. So you're not a turnkey provider. You literally just fix and flip. That's that's what the business is, right? Yeah, that's our main focus, to yeah. fix and flip. Cool, man. So what have been the key factors that have you know enabled you to quickly grow your business here in the United States? Yeah, so probably the three main things, and I, I already mentioned the first, you know, the first is having good mentors. And as part of that, through my mentors, I've also got engaged in good groups of people that are associated with those mentors. So I found my mentors has led to other connections um, and relationships, which have been really important for me. The second thing would be systems. I actually, luckily for me, coming from management consultant, you know, I used to be in the area of process improvement. You know, I'm, I'm a Lean Six Sigma black belt, if, you know, some people may know what that means. But I have like a, a process background and being able to bring that into real estate and really systemize the business um, has been huge for me. Um, and then probably the third thing is is focus. And you're asking me, you know, what type of properties we're into. I've definitely gone through some different stages where I was acquiring some rentals and doing some owner finance. But when I really when I really took off was, was when I just had a singular focus on flipping single family homes to retail buyers and, and just put all my energy towards that. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a really, really important takeaway, just what you said just there, that real estate is full of sort of shiny objects and you can get sidetracked focusing on, you know, you know, sandwich lease options or, you know, um, you know, rentals or whatever it might be and, and having your niche, uh, which is, you know, fixing and flipping to a high end retail buyer. I think that's in, that's incredible. And and this might be you probably You've already already answered this, but you know, I said in the intro that you did 150 properties over six years, and now it sounds like you're on track to do 50 properties in just 2016. So, you know, if you do the math, you're going to be you're going to be doing a lot more than 150 properties over the next six years. So, are there the same key factors that have enabled you to grow that quickly? You know, the processes, your mentors. What what's changed? Is it the market that you've got more inventory that you can buy from? What, what's what's changed? Yeah, I guess for me, as I've, as I've grown the flipping business, I, I see that there's, there's three constraints that I always have to manage. The, the first is on the, the lead generation or the marketing side. So are there enough deals coming through the door? 
Um, the second is on my ability to my factory capacity, you know, my ability to actually rehab X number of houses. And then the third is my uh, financing ability, you know, my ability to raise the capital to uh, to do that many properties. And so as I've grown through the different levels, I've always there's always, one of those three has always been a constraint. And I've always kind of identified that constraint and removed it. And then the next one will pop in. Um, and, and probably at the moment, the thing that's enabled me, the, the big growth is uh, build, having the systems and then starting to bring team members on with people really specialized in performing certain tasks rather than me doing it all like I did in the early days. Yep. yep. And what sort of systems or what sort of people are you employing? Are you talking like about a general contractor or someone who is on the phone calling, you know, getting all the leads or, or what is it? Yeah, my basic team structure, I have uh, a team of acquisitions managers. Uh, at the moment, we've got th- three acquisitions managers who are focused on uh, buying the properties. They'll do that through, uh, you know, I do a bunch of my own marketing, like radio advertising and online and things like that. But then they also prospect leads. And then once a deal comes into the factory, I have a, a project manager um, who's the single point of contact with all of our general contractors. And with him in that role, we probably have capacity to be actively remodeling maybe 15 houses at a time. Yeah. And then on the back end, when we sell it, my wife is fortunately a realtor, so she helps with the, the selling of it. And then we have an, an office manager who kind of coordinates all the transactions and keeping things straight in the office. And that, that's that's how we run the team. Fantastic. That's um that's pretty incredible. You've, you brought it all in-house and I think that's, that's great. You've got guys who are generating the leads. You've got a guy who's overseeing your crews, essentially your, your general contractors, and then you have your wife who's sort of spitting out the end product who can manage that. And I think it's really important as for anyone who gets starting in real estate, uh, as you sort of said there before, and I'm guilty of it, we're all guilty of it. When you first get started, it's you try to do everything yourself and it, you can't do it all yourself. So it's having those systems is very, very important. And I take it that on with the with the general contractors, that's a really, really important aspect of your business. Is that all third party? And are you only working with a certain amount of crews because they provide a good product? Yeah, probably. I think one of the secrets to our success has been our ability to to really systemize that the rehabbing process uh, because I think like the execution from the time you from the time you get a, a house that's in bad shape to the time you get it sold there's there's so much execution b- between the start and the end and so many things that can go wrong so we've continued to kind of uh, use checklists at different stages in the process to drive quality and to learn from our mistakes so you know if we consistently have an issue that comes up in an inspection report at the end when an end buyer is buying it we would build it into our checklists and continue to improve so that we put the best quality house out every time. Sure, that's great. And again, goes back to your system. So so well done. Now, Jeremy, we're talking a little bit offline uh, and you're explaining to me that it's a very, very interesting scenario and that you have some international investors who are buying some cracking deals here in the United States using their self-directed retirement accounts. Do you want to walk us through the processes of using a self-directed super funds and, and, and what international investors are you working with to help buy US real estate? Yeah, sure. I guess the, you know, whether it's Australia or the US, like you'd mentioned before, in Australia, we call it super funds. In the US, they call it IRAs. They are pretty similar at the you know, there are some differences, but they're pretty similar. And my experience initially started with working with a lot of people in the US using their IRA funds. But then that led me to start to work with some Australians because obviously, you know, that's my home country and I've got some people back there. <laughs> and so we worked through the process of investing the super funds as well. And one of the one of the great advantages I think of using real estate as a as a vehicle is that you can generate 
predictable and sustained returns over time. I think much more than you can uh, with the stock market. You know, like everybody knows with the stock market, you could have killer gains from year to year, but you could also uh, have a lot of losses as well. Um, and when you're with real estate, you know, generally speaking, you have very little kind of uh, equity losses, equity position losses over time, um, which makes it such a good investment. Um, so in terms of the process of like how an Australian would get started, uh, it's really simple. There's really th just three steps. So the first step would be to contact your accountant and set up a self-managed superannuation fund. And the cost to do that is going to be anywhere from $1,000 to $1,500. And there is paperwork and things that, you're, that your accountant will need to help you with, your accountant slash solicitor. And that will put the structure in place so that you have a self-managed uh, super fund. Um, as part of that process, you'll also set up a, a separate bank account for that fund as well. That may take you a couple of weeks to get that all set up. Uh, once you've got that account set up, you'll then uh, request to have uh, existing funds that you may have in another super account rolled over into this new self-managed account. Uh, and this is probably the, the step in the process that generally takes the longest. It is at the discretion of your previous super funds holder um, in terms of the timeline, but and uh, obviously they're, they're never in a rush to, to get funds out of their accounts. Um, so typically you're looking at a four to six week timeline for the funds to be rolled over. Uh, but then once the funds are rolled over, for you to invest those funds in a self-directed investment, which may be in the US or elsewhere, um, you can do that pretty much immediately. And for us here in the US, we allow like typically two to three days for the funds to come from the time that a transaction is executed in the self-managed fund in Australia to the time it hits our accounts for the investment, about two or three days. Interesting. So many questions come out of that because I, I remember – my first question is going to be that I remember going to a real estate investing thing, you know, years ago, back in 2000 and I don't know when I was seven and I was listening to some self-directed guys back then. Is there like a minimum that you sort of, you have to have, you know, if I had 20 grand in my, in my super, is that enough to get started? What, what's the sort of, are there any associated fees that people, you know, the government likes to take because you are now doing self-directed or you, you know, you know, you might not know the answer to that, but you also might have a bit of an insight on on, on the sort of the amount that you'd need to get started self doing a self directed account. Yeah, I would say like for, for me when I'm working with investors, I'm typically looking at like an average an average deal for me may have an after repair value of one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand, and when I'm using funds for those investments, I, I lend those funds at a seventy percent loan to value. So. I'm kind of looking at an average loan amount of 100 to 150 thousand um, that that Australian investors or you know other investors would be investing with me. So typically, I like to try and keep one, one person in a deal, but I would allow like a, a minimum of fifty thousand, and then if somebody only had fifty thousand, I would I would uh, add them into a deal uh, in a second position lien on the property. Um, but I'd say at least at least fifty thousand. Yep, sure, sure. The next question was that. I know with here in, in the United States, I know a little bit more about you know self-directed IRAs, which is the US super funds, about having you know not touching the money, you know like having a custodian to 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 handle all the, all the transactions and stuff like that, and it's the custodian that, that invests then into the and I'm getting off into the weeds a little bit, but but the custodian that then invests in the the real estate business is it they just once once they've set it up in Australia they just transfer it straight directly to you know all Texas all cash home buyers uh, bank account or is it do they transfer it into to an escrow account? Yeah. So typically all of our transactions are handled through a title company, which, you know, for Australians, that's the equivalent of like a solicitor, a solicitor's office where a, like the, the buying and selling transaction takes place. 
Um, and so, you know, the process for me would be I, I would have a deal available and let's say the loan amount on it was 100000 and I had somebody in Australia who was interested in the deal, I would send them information on the deal and say, you know, here's the pictures, here's the numbers on the deal, here's the loan amount that I need. They would typically get back to me within a day because normally we're looking for, you know, a, a quick close on the houses. Um, and if they're happy to move forward, I would give them the wire instructions for the title company. Um, and that's where they will then send them the funds across. And then in order to protect the investor, there's really uh, three main things that protects them. The first is I have property insurance listing them as a, as a loss payee. The second is they have the note and the deed of trust. And the deed of trust is essentially the mortgage that secures the money that they've sent across against the property. And then the third is a, a mortgagee's uh, policy. And uh, what that's doing is ensuring um, that the title company has done all the right title work to ensure that there's clean title. And if there was any issues, which there never is, um, there is insurance to cover that. Um, so they're fully protected in all areas. Right. And I might have missed this and, and you might have already mentioned it and excuse the uh, for the repeat of the question, but your all your Australian investors are actually owning this particular property. They're not acting as the bank or are they acting as the bank or is that something that I've just completely made up and that's another great opportunity there to, to sort of act as, as a private lending? Uh, for, yeah. You know, acting as a, as, a, as a bank, so to speak, and then you could have even a third investor or buyer on the ground here in Texas using that as the bank. I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and um, I was meaning to mention that up front because really, I, I guess there's two there's two ways that people could invest. One is they could invest in owning the property, which is what you alluded to at the beginning. Um, or the second, which is the main thing that I do, is they could they could act as the bank where they are like lending money to fund the deals. Now, in terms of the first option with the ownership of the property, there are quite a few restrictions like Australian tax laws around what you can do in your self-directed super funds with properties that you own. And just to kind of generalize it, you're not really allowed to rehab and improve properties. That's, that, that's not something that you're allowed to do in your super funds. Um, you are allowed to, to, to own rentals and just kind of spend money on, you know, upkeep and maintenance, but you couldn't flip properties. Um, Interesting. But could you then buy a distressed property, rehab it, and then rent it out? Is that something you uh, could yeah, it's I guess in terms of the improvements, uh, there's a lot of rules around the improvements that are allowed and not allowed, and that's where it gets kind of a little bit complicated because they're pretty clear. Like, let's say for example that you uh, remodeled the bathroom or kitchen, you know, I think that that could be considered like an improvement, and you're not really allowed to be doing improvements on it. Interesting. That's really interesting. I don't I don't know why that would. Anyway, it's, I'm sure you have to ask a, a professional in the United uh, in Australia. But the other option is is quite very interesting because you know private lending is a as you said is a great way. They're in first position essentially, and are they in first position? I take it if they're going to act as the bank. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in, if they're acting as a lender, you know, the best if people aren't familiar with this type of investment, the best way to think of it is that they are the bank. They're, they're lending money for the project that we're doing, and that money's secured against the house. Um, and like I've mentioned before, our loan to value ratios are seventy percent or lower, and that's really what makes the investment so secure to the investors. Because you know, if for example, if they're lending a hundred thousand dollars, that's secured against a property that's going to be worth at least one hundred and fifty thousand once we've done the renovations. And so, the worst case scenario, and this this never happens, but you know, the worst case scenario is that they take that $150,000 house back. And I've done like 
probably about $15 million of lending transactions since we started. And, you know, we've never had any houses go back, but that's the end security that they have. That's great. That's uh, that's an incredible, you know, as the market changes and different ways of making money, private lending is very much up there in terms of just, you could, you know, get your grammar involved. <laughs> if you're in first position, your money is, you know, your money is secured by real estate. So it's very, very intriguing. And Jeremy, how did you stumble across this type of, lending so to speak is it just there was a there was a demand for your buyers to offer you you wanted to offer them a sort of a a lending option when they're buying your product yeah for for us uh you know when i started learning about the flipping business one of the key components is uh being able to finance the deals quickly because the the like i mentioned earlier you know your advantage your ability to get the houses at a discount is directly correlated to your ability to close quickly and so the great thing about super funds or IRA funds is once they're actually set up, you can get the money across in in days to close on a transaction and you don't have the long approval cycles that the banks have. And so that's why for the flipping business, a, a key part of it is the relationship I have uh, with my lenders to be able to fund the deals. Cool. And so in the process of, of you, you find that you find the distressed property, you, Jeremy Heath in, in Texas All Cash Home Buyers buys it, that you do it up. With and I take it with hard money or however you you use your own private money, and then you offer two things: you offer the international investors, you know, who are using a self-directed super fund as the bank, and you offer to the seller this funding option. Have I got that correct? Once the house is rehabbed, yeah, no, actually, actually, the way we uh, would secure the funds uh, from the Australian from the investor, whether it's Australian or US, at the beginning. Um, so let's say I'll run you through an example. Let's say that a house is going to be worth $100,000 once we've done the repairs. And that, that term, for those who don't know it, you know, it's called the ARV or the after repair value of 100000 And then when we buy the properties, we always buy them at a 70% value or, or lower. So what that means is if it's going to be worth one hundred dollars once we've fixed it, um, and let's say it needed 20000 in repairs to get it to that point, then the most we could pay for the property is $50,000. And then when I'm looking for the investment from a lender, let's say in Australia, I would say I require $70,000 to do this project. It's $50,000 to buy it and $20,000 to fix it. And then that loan will be secured against the property. And the, the typical time for from the time we buy a property to sell it is less than six months. It's typically like four to four to six months. Um, and so they would get their money back, you know, once we sell it in that six month period. But then I'm always, you know, my goal with any investor, if they want to reinvest, I try and get their money into another deal within 30 days um, so that their money keeps, uh, you know, keeps rolling forward. Interesting. That's And so back to that scenario, so have you sold, if you got it all, you're all in, the, uh, the, the Australian investors making some great, using the self-directed IRAs, it's probably at what, what sort of percentages are they making on being the bank in that scenario? Yeah, so I I, uh, I offer between ten to twelve percent uh, interest, and then and the the thing that's really cool about it, you know, if you compare it between, uh, say, owning a property and being a lender, when you're owning a property, you know, I'd already mentioned the restrictions on the improvements, which is one thing, but but you also have the headache of the the management of it, you know, so you may have a tenant that trashes the house, or you may have a vacant property, um, but when you're the lender, you know that you have a predictable return of between 10 to 12% and you know it's secured against an asset. So you, you, you're not going to lose your equity position, um, unlike the stock market. And so in terms of like long-term planning, um, I have a lot of investors that kind of, you know, do a lot of long-term term planning with me 
uh, because they know that they can probably get about 10% compounded a year if they continue to invest. Um, and that's what kind of makes it nice. Right. And do you have any investors who are saying, Jeremy, this is great. And I love that you're giving me 10 to 12% within six months. But do you have other investors who are just like, look, I just want to get it. I want to be on the mortgage side and have, have you know, five, 10 year loan structure. Is there any, but I, I guess you're paying a higher interest so that that end buyer needs to agree to be paying the 10 to 12%, right? So it's sort of horses for courses. And do you have any of those people that, that have a longer term loan period? Uh, no, all, all of my loans have a, a 12 month bloom. And I, and I find that my investors like that because they, let's say that their circumstances change or, or they have another investment option that comes up that, that may be better. Um, their money's not, not tied up for that long. And for all of my investors that have started investing with me, that none of them have ever taken money away. They've just continued to kind of increase the amount, but they know that at any time um, they can they can reallocate it, their, their money to other investments and it's easy to do that. Sure. And then on the return side, so once you you, you take 12, the project's done 12 months, it's 70 grand or let's just say it's 100 grand and you've given them, you've sold the property and they've now got $112,000 sitting. Do you transfer that money back to their Australian account or does that just sit here in the United States? How does that all work? How does, how does you record that they have made gains on that money from their self-directed time and account it depends on what the what the person wants so some people want the money to be wired back to their account so it's sitting in their account um but i do have some some other people that they are happy to have the money sit here in the us and the reason they do that is because they don't want the additional administration or the or the wiring costs and i guess those people tend to be people that we have long-standing relationships with so from their perspective they you know, I guess they, they trust what we're doing. If it was somebody that was new and we'd just met each other, I would insist that the money goes back to them for the, for their own uh, peace of mind, um, but they do have the option. Right, but it will go out of their account. Say if it is a first-time person that's working with you, Jeremy, it will leave their account and let's just say six months later, it comes back with whatever the interest it accrues. Is that correct? You, or do you do monthly repayments back to them? Yeah, uh, all interest is paid out at the time of the sale. So, yeah. Cool, cool, but let's cool. say if, if we do an example, that let's say they lent a hundred thousand and it was twelve percent interest per annum, and the deal ended up being a, a, a six month deal, they they would have earned six thousand interest on that, and they'd get one hundred and six back. Yep, yep, no, that that makes that makes great sense. And um, the the other thing I wanted to sort of uh, you know touch on a little bit is that as the money comes across from Australia, are you helping set up? A, a US bank account for these international investors who are using their self-directed retirement accounts? Um, because I know it's getting a little harder to set up bank accounts here in the United States. Yeah, so so typically typically the money does get sent back to their Australian account. And so the main reason for that is so that all of the money that's transacted is through the title company. Um, and so, you know, when the investor sends their money across, they send it to a title company and then when they sell it, it goes back in the title company, goes back to them. And that's, you know, assures them that things are being done, you know, um, as they should. Sure. Okay. Now that's, that's, that's really smart. And for people out there who, as Jeremy explained originally, the title company here in the United States is just, you know, an intermediary that sort of makes sure that the transaction gets done and there's no fraudulent activities and no one's sort of running off with your money. It's sort of one account, some, you, you, the seller so the buyer will put money into it, the seller will take money out of it, and they sort of act as a third party. That's correct, right, right Jeremy? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. 
Cool, mate. So I want to just, you know, I don't want to go on too, but you've been provided some incredible, incredible information. I just wanted to touch a little bit more about on your investments. And, you know, you, you work, I said in the beginning, you're working in Austin and San Antonio. I, you know, I love Austin and I've been there a few times. It is a bit of a frothy market. So how are you, you know, building your business? What are you doing to make sure that you do have longevity as the market changes here in the United States? Well, I guess the the one thing that I've that I've learned about flipping houses and why I love the business so much is that it's it's truly resilient to my to the market cycles. And the reason why it is, and this is a question that a lot of lenders ask me. You know, they kind of say, "Hey, what if the market tanks? Uh, how's my investment going to be secure?" And the and I like to go back to the crash that occurred kind of in two thousand and two thousand two thousand seven two thousand and eight. You know, luckily here in Texas, that we just kind of stayed flat. We didn't really go down. Um, but in the markets that did go down a lot, like Phoenix and Vegas and things like that, even though it dropped a lot, it's not like uh, the stock market where it can drop overnight. And our cycle time on buying and selling properties is between four to six months. Um, we also have you know, the buffer of the 30% equity built in because we are um, buying at the ratios of 70%. Um, so what that means is you know, if, you're, if you're in an up market, you're going to be buying that property's at a higher price, but you're still creating your spread. If you're in a down market, you're going to be buying them at a lower price, but you're still going to be creating the spread. And because the buying and selling happens within six months, you, you're not really exposed to big market changes because it typically takes a year or two years for those changes to come through. And so that's kind of different from like, let's say new home builders in, in a down market, you'll see new home builders just get crushed. And that's because their uh, costs are not adjustable with the market. They have fixed costs um, to, to do the construction. And so once the construction ends up being more expensive than acquiring a, a property that exists, they're out of business. Um, but for us, you know, our acquisitions costs are always adjusting with the markets. And that's kind of what makes it resilient in any cycle. Right. And that's, and that's very interesting. And for if anyone got lost there, that what Jeremy's trying to say is that the, the business or well, his business is inherently uh, flexible to respond to the market. So if, say, one day uh, a distressed property might be worth $100,000 uh, and it's going to be worth one hundred and fifty once you put it on the market in today's economy, say the, 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 the market tanks, Jeremy won't be picking up properties at $100,000. He'll be picking up properties at $60,000 and then having an ARV of maybe not 150 or it might, might be 95 or 110. Have I got that correct, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. All right, mate. So what are you doing? Uh, sort of last question. What are you doing to continue to build your, your business here in the United States and, and grow as a real estate entrepreneur? Yeah, I think for me, the, the, the main focus continues to be uh, you know, uh, perfecting the systems um, and then hiring the right people, uh, and then having a, a singular focus, you know, on on the specific goals that I want to achieve, and uh, not allowing myself to be distracted by things that don't align, align with that. Um, and I, I like to kind of put together a, you know, I always have a very clear uh, five year and ten year plan, and then I have a more specific, you know, two year plan that I'm working on. And uh, I found that since I got that discipline. Uh, with this business, that's you know that's what's really enabled me to to hit my milestones and, and keep moving forward. Mate, that's fantastic. Uh, as I said, you got some great little stuff going on in, in your business, and I love the the self directed stuff with the uh, being being acting as the bank. I think it's a really really cracking cracking idea, mate. Um, with given all your experience here in the United States, I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. 
Mate, what's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, I would say the one thing that I started a couple of years ago is um, something I call doing my miracle mornings. And uh, there's actually a book written by a guy, Hal Elrod, and I recommend it highly to anybody. Whoever reads it, it'll change your life. Um, And basically what he talks about in that book is the practice of getting up earlier in the morning and front-ending your day uh, with all of your success habits. So, you know, for me, a typical morning will start at 4 or 4.30, and the first two hours of the day – I'm um, doing things like, you know, spending an hour reading. Um, so I'm learning new, new information. Um, I do some meditation and visualization. Um, and I practice affirmations. And this is stuff that he all talks about in the book. And by just getting up earlier and making the time for it, it makes sure that you never not do it. Um, and it also starts you off on the right foot uh, to have a real productive day. I love it. I think that's one of the... Uh... That's a great, great piece of advice, getting up and attacking the day head on uh, straight away. I'm a huge morning person like yourself, but maybe not 4.30 a.m., but uh, definitely an early morning riser. Mate, what's the most influential tool you use in your real estate business and why? Yeah, I would say that hands down, it's the simple checklist, which has been the game changer for me. There's a book called The Checklist Manifesto. After I've read that book, it kind of uh, had a big impact on my, my thinking and my understanding of the, the power of a checklist. And a checklist is something that a lot of people see as so simple, but it's the foundation of uh, systemizing anything in your life, business or, or personal. Um, and since I kind of got behind the checklist, it's been, it's been the game changer. Fantastic. I love checklists as well. You know, Getting it out of your... I think another great... The, the art of getting it out of your mind. You know, it's, you've got all these things, right? Your mind's going at a million miles an hour. If you don't get it down onto a piece of paper and, a, and having a checklist or a to-do list or something, it doesn't free up your, keeping it clean between the ears, as I like to say. It doesn't free up your mind to think about other stuff and focus on really what's important um, moving forward. So really, really good stuff. Uh, mate, what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? Uh, we've got a couple of good projects that we're doing in a, an area of San Antonio uh, known as the King Williams District. And it's a it's a historic area uh, downtown, and uh, it's really taken off in probably the last last seven or eight years. And so they're just they're, they're a couple of cool fun projects where you know we're restoring the houses back to kind of their um, you know previous glory. And uh, so it's it's a little bit different from what we normally do, and you know a bit more intense on the design and the choice of materials and stuff. So it's fun. You know we're looking forward to to doing those too. Go back to your engineering days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, mate, who's the most uh, influential person in your career to date? Yeah, I'd say there's there's been two huge influences. You know, I've mentioned uh, my real estate mentor before. Uh, his name's Tim Taylor. Tim Taylor, and, yep. Uh, uh, he's been uh, you know pivotal in helping me to, to continue to grow. And uh, and then secondly, uh, I have a, a like a life coach that I work with by the name of Michael Mitty, um, and. Uh, Tim actually recommended Michael to me because Michael was Tim's coach. So I got I got my coach's coach, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and they, and they've both been a huge impact. I, I've actively worked with them today, and I, you know I'm planning to continue to do that for a long time. Great. Well, so Tim and Michael are the most influential people in your career. So good stuff, mate. Uh, last question is the best US deal you've completed to get to date, and give us a few of the numbers behind uh, the deal. Yeah, I would say. I would say I was trying to think back before the call. You know, what were some of the big deals that we did? And for me, it probably was less about a specific deal, and it's and it's more about the it's it's more about the factory and the capacity of the factory. Because I think, like to me, it, just a one-off deal is just is a one-off deal. You know, you could get a good profit on it. That's great. But 
Uh, but but for me, it's about building sustainable profits with a factory that that's always putting out these good products. And and at the end of the day, you know, I hate to devalue the homes and whatever, but the, the homes I see them as a product. And uh, over time, I've become less attached to them. But I'm I'm more attached to my factory, you know, and and and, and that's what I really take pride in, and and trying to build the output of the factory so that we can you know put out more houses uh, every month i think that's incredible advice because you know what you're trying to get at is that you you you're more focused on the factory that's going to help you grow your long-term wealth not just one individual as you said profit center or deal that's just you know you've hit a home run great well what's the next one coming around the corner because you can't live off that that one deal for the rest of your life right absolutely and that's one thing that you know uh, tim my real estate coach i guess one of the things there was a game changer in my mind years ago. I, I was I was I was doing flipping, but I was also trying to build a rental portfolio. And he had said to me, "Why don't you just?" And he had asked me why I was doing that, and I said, "Well, I want the predictable cash flow from my rental portfolio, so I know I'm getting a certain amount every month." And he said, "Well, why don't you build a flipping business that gives you predictable uh, income that's much, that can be much bigger than what you get off a rental check?" And so that's when I actually sold. I had about thirty rentals, and I sold them all. You know, to get really focused on, on the flipping and and understanding that as long as you've got the volume of deals coming through, you can get a constant paycheck every month, just like a rental, and they and they can be a lot bigger. Interesting. That's uh, that's fantastic. Last question is: Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Yeah. So the best the best approach would be if you check out my website, which is texasallcash.com, and uh, you can shoot me an email through there. Or our uh, our general uh, answering line is two. It's the US side to be plus one two one zero six nine eight six one six six. Or you can shoot me an email directly at uh, Jeremy at texasallcash.com. and it's Jeremy with the G. <laughs> and guys, uh, everyone who's listening out there, we will have all that in the show notes. So just head to my website. Well, Jeremy, you know you provided some cracking information and you know the listeners would be just i reckon going back and listening to this show again and again because we did talk about some pretty incredible stuff everything from understanding how to use your self-directed retirement account to be as the bank uh which is in first position and get a cracking 10 to 12 percent return on it better than what's in the stock market we talked a lot about your processes uh with the factory and how that has really you know helped scale your business and i think that's really really important and a good takeaway piece of advice um and i think we could do a whole show on just how you did the the, the factory building because it's it's really really important real estate business is about building your processes and I'm, and jeremy is clearly uh, a king at that so mate thank you for dropping by and chatting with us have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon yeah no worries thanks rick had a good time well guys there you have it if jeremy can move to the united states and start a business flipping houses then you know anyone can do it it's just a mindset and a belief to back yourself and give it a crack now guys i know you probably have a ton of questions for jeremy so if you do jump online and shoot jeremy an email he'll be only too willing to help out and give you advice on understanding how to use your self-directed retirement account on the lending side now remember a summary of our conversation will go up online as always at rsm property group remember to click on the podcast tab whilst you're there check out some of the deals that we're looking to syndicate on and if you're wanting to become an investor in one of our deals then drop me an email to find out a little bit more thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because as you know guys that's what we're all about here on this show continuing to grow your financial iq if you're really enjoying this show then the best way to give back is by jumping on itunes and giving the show 
show a five-star review. It really would help us grow our community of international listeners eager to invest here in the United States. You can continue the conversation with me on Facebook and Twitter by searching RSM Property Group or Reed Goosens. You know that we'll do this all again next week, so take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.